Welcome to the Magnificat Podcast. We are an international ministry to Catholic women. Throughout this series, we will pray together, share insights, and hear amazing testimonies, typically from women of faith who have been touched by the power of the Lord in their lives. This is a decidedly Catholic podcast, and in this series, you will hopefully learn more about the Catholic faith, God, the Blessed Mother, and much more. Thanks so much for joining us. Now let's listen to a great program. It is my privilege to introduce our speaker, Marilyn Quirk, the foundress of Magnificat. Marilyn has served the ministry as a coordinator for the past 25 years. Marilyn is a recipient of the Papal Medal, Pro Ecclesia et Pontificia, for outstanding service to the Catholic Church, and has appeared on EWTN. Again, my privilege to introduce Marilyn Quirk. I bring to you uh, a lot of um, greetings and love from many sisters throughout the 52 chapters in Magnificat right now. Today I want to tell you something about myself, give you a kind of testimony of God's action in my life. I was born in New Orleans, way down yonder in New Orleans. My father was Italian. His parents were from Sicily, barely spoke English and could not write. And my mother was English, and so I came from two different worlds. I was baptized Catholic and made my first communion I have a brother that's three years younger than I am. And because my father, after they were married, no longer went to Mass, uh, mother asked my father if uh, he'd have any problem, if she would bring us to her church, was the Episcopal Church. And he said no. So she began bringing my brother and I to the Episcopal Church. And I was raised in the, in the Episcopal Church throughout my life until later. My mother and father were wonderful parents. My father esteemed me as a, as a girl. My mother loved me unconditionally. There was just great love coming from both of them to, to me. But they had a very difficult marriage. They loved one another, but somehow or another, it was a very turbulent. Throughout my life, it seemed that there was ups and downs and great crisis uh, on and on to our marriage. And through all of that suffering... I think that God used it. As I look back on it, I'd never want to go through it again. But it used that time of suffering and difficulty to draw me closer to Him. For He gave me two great gifts in my life. And those two gifts were my grandmothers. They were so instrumental in my life. And I believe that I'm standing here today as a result of their prayers and example in my life and their love in my life. My grandmother, who was from my father's side, was from Sicily, and she was a great woman of prayer, would walk two miles to Mass daily, and those were days when that wasn't the common thing to do, but she did. She had a little altar in her home. My father was the only son of seven children. So you know, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Italian families, but that's the, the, the guy is pretty special in that situation. And so I was my father's firstborn. And the fact that my father was not attending Mass regularly broke her heart. And the fact that I, her firstborn granddaughter from him, was being raised as an Episcopal broke her heart as well. And I remember as a child, every time she would see me, she would say, Marilyn, Marilyn, come, come see my altar. And she'd bring me into this room that had her little altar where she had candles lit and a picture of, of Jesus and, and some of the saints that were favorite saints to her. And she had a great devotion to Our Lady of Perpetual Help. And uh, she would say, I pray for you. I pray you become a Catholic. And I didn't really fully understand in those early years what she meant. She did pray for me, and I realized the grace of those prayers. My grandmother on my mother's side was a woman, Episcopal woman, who was a leader in the church among women, and was a great woman of faith, had a great love and generosity for God, to me the epitome of what a Christian woman would be. And so she was a great example. So those two women were very instrumental 
where I am today and the grace that God gave me. I knew Jesus through the grace of their prayers and through their example. And he became my best friend, my uh, counselor, my deliverer, and, and just held me strong in a situation where I could have been very wounded emotionally, but was not. In high school years, I really had this drawing to follow Jesus in a a strong way. I just felt a, a vocation to serve him in some capacity. And I went to the Episcopal pastor in, in New Orleans and just talked to him about this. And he said, well, perhaps you could you might be called to become a missionary, maybe a medical missionary. So I decided that that would be the course that I would take. And I went to LSU, Louisiana State University, to study nursing and, and, and child development so that I could become a medical missionary, maybe with children. While I was at LSU, I had a, a blind date, had lots of uh, friends who were boys, but never marriage was never something that I'd ever considered in my life then at that time. And I guess I, I just felt this call from God that I was to give my life to Him in some way, and, and just to have friends was okay, but I, I wasn't interested in marriage. And I had a blind date with um, uh, a Catholic man, and he was the first Catholic, believe it or not, that I, that I ever dated. Now, I'm from New Orleans, which is a very Catholic city, and that's most unusual. But you see, I, I was taken out of Catholic school and brought up in public school so that most of my friends were non-Catholics because this Catholic school system in New Orleans is very strong, and most of the Catholic people do go to the Catholic schools. And those Catholics that I knew, in my mind, were somewhat nominal. It seemed like church was something that you had to do. But see, God was alive in my heart. I just didn't know that that would be something that that Jesus would be alive in in the hearts of, of many Catholics. It was a foolish thing to think, but that's what I thought. And when I met this young man, Pete, at LSU, he was just different. He was just very special, and we became very good friends. And... I found after being with him, dating him, doing things with him, my heart was beginning to be attracted to him in a kind of a way that was, uh, I was thinking I was falling in love with him. And I was a little frightened about it and concerned because I didn't want to let my heart fall in love before I understood what God's plan was for my life. Through Pete, I met the Catholic chaplain at LSU, and I was very touched by him. His name was Father Stanley Ott, and he was a very holy, pious priest. And I went to him and asked if I could see him. He said, of course. And I said, I had this big problem that I was falling in love with a, with a guy. And he said, well. And I said, well, the problem is, is that I really believe that I have a vocation. And he said, well, you know, Marilyn, he said, marriage is a vocation. Marriage is a great vocation in the church. She said that he said there's a great witness of the a marriage, the, the Christian, a Christian marriage is, is a great witness in the church. He said, so if God would call you to this, you know, say yes to it. He said, if you'd like, I'll take you through a series of, of discerning that, that could maybe help you to discern this. Is, is if he's calling you to this. It must have been the spiritual exercises that he gave me. Um, I don't remember, but there were a number of weeks where I con- considered this. Now, Pete had never asked me to marry him, or it never, if it wasn't anything like that. I'm discerning all this before I, I, I let my heart fall, you know. So um, then it was open to marriage, but then I had another problem. Because if it was open to marriage, then my children would have to be raised Catholic, and I would need to understand the faith so as to raise them in the faith that they would not be nominal Catholics, but good Catholics. So I told Father Ott that I had this problem, too, before I, you know, let myself decide. And he said, well, that's not a problem. I'll I'll be glad to teach you the faith. Now, I didn't know this at the time. He had a doctorate in theology. He was a very holy man, and he spent two days a week instructing me in the faith. Uh, About this time, Pete did ask me to marry him, and I did did say yes. And... um, agreeing and thinking all along that somehow or another we were going to get married, but 
uh, I would still remain Episcopal and he would remain Catholic. However, God's grace was so great. I embraced in my heart the vicar of Christ as being an extraordinary gift from Jesus. It wasn't a block at that time to me, but he was a gift to the church to lead the church in matters of morals and teachings and also to unify the church. For without the gift of Peter, we would be very divided as a church and very confused. There would be this teaching and that teaching. I became a Catholic on August 4th. Uh, it was 1958. Pete and I were married in the sacrament of matrimony on August 16th, 1958. The priest, Father Ott, was present at our wedding but wasn't the officiating. There was no concelebration at that time. But I had an extraordinary mass that I think I cried through the whole thing. And I think this was the first experience that I had with the Holy Spirit and realizing how real the sacrament of matrimony is, that it's not just a nice thing to get married in church, for it's a real grace that God gives to us as married people, a grace that will sustain us in the lean years and in the hard years and the difficult years. That grace is one that we can draw upon, that we can call upon to sustain us in the commitment that we make. Pete and I were married. We moved away from New Orleans. We were away seven for about seven years. We moved back to New Orleans with four children. Uh, Pete is an engineer, and uh, we needed to move here and there around the country. The busyness of caring for the children was wonderful, but then when I got back to New Orleans, I had more help with family and friends, and uh, we were able to do things financially that we weren't able to do before. And I found that during those years, coming back to New Orleans, the cares and riches and pleasures of life began to choke off the fervor, the early fervor that I had in my life for Jesus. I still went to Mass. I still prayed. And when I'd go to Mass, I'd say, Oh, Lord, let me never be separated from you. But at the same time, I was doing many things that were taking me away from um, Him being the center of my life. Not evil things, so to speak, but things that that really were going in a direction away from Him. You can imagine three circles, and one would have... Jesus in the center of that circle, and you can represent that by a cross, that's not where Jesus was in my, my life. Nor was he outside the circle, which means my heart. He was in a part of my heart. He was in a part of that circle, you might say, but he wasn't the center. He wasn't the treasure. He wasn't the Lord of my life. I was Lord of my life. And I was wanting to do this and that, and I was more concerned about where I was going and what I was going to wear and who I was going to see, the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And he was only a part of my life, but he wasn't center. About this time, going on in that direction very quickly for about four years, I met a woman who began asking me to attend a prayer meeting. Well, this lovely woman was so sweet and so nice And every week she'd call me, will you go with me to this prayer meeting? I know you'll love it. And I kept saying, oh, I think I would love it. But really this week, I just can't. Thank you so much. She'd call back the next week and the next week and the next week. And finally, I thought she's going to wear me out. (laughs) And unless I go with her, I just I can't take this anymore. So finally, I said, I will go. You see, I just had many other things that I wanted to do or I could do. And, I mean, this was just a nice little thing. So I went with her to this prayer meeting. And going into this prayer meeting, it was at Loyola University in New Orleans. It was an upper room. There was about 70 people there. And they were sitting around in a kind of um, circle or semicircle. Or, and one would get up and read a, a scripture passage, and they'd have music. And then we had a glorious mass. Well, I began to just weep. I didn't know what was happening to me. I began weeping and thinking, Lord, I am so sorry having gone away from you. I felt like he was just causing just rivers of mercy to fall over me and just feeling kind of a, a sense of of repentance, of sorrow for the ways in which I had run away from him. And so I 
said, I'd like to come back next week. And as I went a few times, I said to her, I'd love to have what you all have. I'd love to receive whatever grace that you have. And they talked about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I had never heard of that term. And they said that it was the the release of the Holy Spirit that was given to us at baptism and at confirmation that was just a grace that God was giving to the church today. And I thought, you know, where sin abounds, grace moreover, it would be very natural for God to pour out extra graces, extra measures, measures of grace upon the church in an hour of need. I had never really thought much about the Holy Spirit throughout my life. Even though I had been close to Jesus I, and loved Jesus, I just hadn't thought much about the Holy Spirit. Never did even pray to the Holy Spirit. Uh, maybe it's because I was brought up non-Catholic. I don't know what it was. but So I asked them to pray for me, to pray for me for this grace, and they did. And I felt absolutely nothing. I was expecting to be knocked off my chair. This would be a dramatic happening like a Saul, and nothing happened. It was very peaceful, quiet, uneventful, yet my whole life changed. Later weeks that I began to look back and say, wow, it really has changed. Because gradually I began to desire to go to Mass more often. I began to desire to open up the Scriptures and read the Scriptures. I had a greater love in my heart for other people. I saw my husband with a new light, a new love. I saw my children with new love in my heart. I saw those who offended me with a new love. I began to experience just the love of the Father. And I began to to feel a healing as a woman and just really being happy to be a woman. These were new things that were coming to me. This is the Liturgy of the Hours. It's a prayer of the church that the priests throughout the world in the church read daily. Many sisters read the Liturgy of the Hours, and many lay men and women read the Liturgy of the Hours. It's so rich. The readings and psalms and hymns, it's a wonderful gift for prayer. This reading is from the Ordinary Day on Saturday. It's a word from a a discourse by St. Hilary. And he says, the river of God is brimming with water. That is to say, we are inundated by the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And from that fountain of life, the river of God pours into us in full flood. He says, we begin to have an insight into the mysteries of faith. We are able to prophesy and to speak with wisdom. We become steadfast in hope and receive the gift of healing. Demons are made subject to our authority. These gifts enter us like a gentle rain, and once having done so, little by little, they bring forth fruit in abundance. Isn't that beautiful? So the Holy Spirit, I was recognizing as being an extraordinary gift to be what God has called us to be. He calls us to be holy, but we can't do it on our own. Try as we might, we can't do it on our own. And I remember saying that as a child, I want to be a saint. But then I got to thinking about it. There's no way I could be a saint. I couldn't do all that penance. I couldn't do all those things that you have to be a saint. And besides, saints really don't have that much fun. That's what I was thinking, (laughs) you know. And it's such a false way of thinking because those who I know who are closest to God and so happy in God are the most fun to be with. They live life to the fullness. Jesus said, I came that you may have life and have it to the fullness. And so I began seeing that the Holy Spirit was there to help me want to do the things that God really wanted me to do. Our Lady is the example of one who was fully, fully filled with the Holy Spirit, fully immersed in the Holy Spirit. She is our mother, our model for openness to the Holy Spirit. We need in the church today, I believe, in all of our lives, in all of our families, we need a new Pentecost. We need extraordinary grace, and prayer obtains it. What father among you would give a stone 
you know, when he asks for a fish or a piece of bread. You know, if you with all your sins know how to give good things to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? So we only have to ask. God's not going to, maybe occasionally he would hit us on the head with it like he did Saul. But most of the time we have to ask him and daily ask him, give us the Holy Spirit, Lord. Pour your spirit in our, give us the grace of your spirit. About this time, I was just kind of realizing, you know, the Holy Spirit comes into us and convicts us. He convicts us of those things that we're doing wrong. Now, the way he convicts us is not condemnation, but it's a gentle kind of thing where we recognize that we need to correct some things in our lives. It's not condemnation. The Holy Spirit is so loving and so gentle. And so I began to realize that I had a kind of spirit of vanity in the sense that I cared about what I wore and I had a lot of really nice clothes. And every time I'd open the scriptures to read the scriptures, I'd follow on this passage that I didn't like at all. And it said, if you seek perfection, sell what you have and give to the poor. And I didn't like that at all because every time I read it, I kind of felt like a, a nudge that maybe I, was, I needed to just sell everything I had and give to the poor. But then I thought, well, that would be kind of extreme. But what are my treasures and what do I really like? And I had some really pretty clothes. And so maybe it's that. And I kept saying, Lord, well, give me the grace. Give me the grace. So there was a time where I felt very holy, you know. And I went to my closet and I said... Okay, I'm going to get rid of all these things that I don't need. I don't need these things. And so I just got rid of them. And I kept um, a couple of skirts and about three blouses and a couple of scarves and a couple of pairs of pants. And all basic, like black and white. Everything was like very basic. And so I, and I like color, you know. So I kept these basic things and I got rid of it. And oh boy, I felt like I was really, I had, I just was so grateful for, for that gift to be able to do that and I gave all my things away I was really proud of myself and I went for a couple of weeks and a couple of people would stop me and they said Marilyn uh, did you join a, a religious order or you know and and I'd say oh no oh no you know no I'm just you know simplifying my life then I guess about a month later my husband said uh do you have time this afternoon for us to go for a little drive or a little walk or something? I said, okay. So he went for a drive, and he stopped. He said, I've just been wanting to talk to you about this. He said, you've been looking a little drab here lately. <laughs> you know, is, is anything wrong? Or, you know, what, what's going on with you? Now, my husband is so unmateristic. Uh, you know, for him, to him to even notice was just a big thing. And and I said, well, you know, I, I just had this sense that I was to, you know, divest myself of those things that I hold precious. And, you know, he said, well, you know, that was a good thing to do, but I think you've gone to the extreme. And someone else who I respect very much, a religious sister who's a very close personal friend of mine, said, Marilyn, she said, um, you know, God does not want you to rid yourself you, you have to have a balance in it, and you can't hold anything as more precious than God in your life. And it was though I just began to cry and think, I've just failed, you know, I've missed God and so forth. And then I, I heard him say, Marilyn, you know, what I want for you is not to dress for your glory, but for my glory. Everything I give you is a gift to you, but I want you to hold it with palms up. It's not wrong to have material things but it's wrong to hold on to them and, and not be willing to, to give, give them and share and be generous, but not to hold them as a kind of God in your life. And, and I give back clothes to you to dress not for your glory, but for my glory. And that, there's a whole difference in that, and it, it was a whole teaching. So it was that he wanted me to be willing to give everything away only to receive back and hold it for him, for his glory. 
Another thing I learned during that time, I guess I kept looking at my husband and thinking, oh, he should be doing this, and he should be doing that, and I'm going to church so often, and he should be doing this, and he should be coming to me with me to the prayer meeting. And, and I mean, it was causing some little, you know, between us. Then again, God had to speak to me, and he said, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eyes when you miss the plank in your own? Marilyn, it is you who I want to change, you who I want to renew, you who I want to transform. And so I had to say, "Mm." so Lord, I forgive me. And, And it was as though he was saying, you know, I want to give you my love for him. I want you to see your husband through my eyes, my eyes of love. And I want you to love him and affirm him and build him up in those things that you see and not tear down. You know, I I learned that you don't preach. You just love. If God gives you wisdom to say something at the right time, good, but do not preach. And so he taught me a lot. And I began to see my husband as he really is a beautiful, wonderful man of God who I'm so proud of. And both of us have grown so much in knowing God and loving God together that without him, my involvement in this ministry would never be possible. For he is the one who at times kind of pushes me out the door and say, you have to go, you have to go, because I don't want to go if I have to travel. Or you have to do you have to obey what, what the Lord is doing. This is his work. And so he has been the greatest gift to me and to this ministry in, in the work that we're about. God brought about many healings in my family. Um, my mother, early in, I think it was 1971, came into the church, came into the, became a Catholic. Then my father, later in later years, came, had a conversion experience, came back into the church and lived nine years of his life before he died in 1988, much in love with the Lord and much in love with the church. So I thank God for that. We saw many healings take place in our family, many miraculous healings. But God wants to honor our prayers, our simple prayers for simple healings and simple ways of of letting us know that he's truly with us. From almost the beginning of going to this prayer meeting, there was this group of women that used to go up together in a car, a large car, a van or something, and and we would sit down in the car for long hours praying and, and talking about the things of God and pray for this person and, and sharing books and just sharing thoughts, you know, like we do. Sometimes it was getting late at night. One of us said, this is really not too safe for us to be doing this. Maybe we ought to meet during the week and do this at another time, you know, have a time to share. And I said, well, my youngest is in school. That was the first year that my youngest, my five-year-old, was in kindergarten. And I said, why don't you just meet at my house? And they said, okay. So about 12 ladies came to my house, and we prayed and shared, and it was just a wonderful time together. And they said, well, let's try it again next week and the next week. And the next week, and I wasn't leading this group. I wasn't leading this little prayer session. It was this beautiful woman that had brought me to the first prayer meeting who was leading it. And um, so they kept saying uh, about meeting regularly, and I kept thinking commitment. And I kept thinking, if I say yes to this, this means I've got to be here every week on Wednesday to have this meeting in my home. And what if a luncheon or a style show or something more important comes up (laughs) that I would need, you know, to go to? And I thought about it, and it was just this little voice, not very strong, just this little voice, say yes, and I'll do the rest. And then I thought, oh, okay, well, what that must mean is that I can say yes to it. I can open the door. They can greet them. They can come in, and then I can say, lock up when you leave. <laughs> and so I said yes, that we could meet at my home, and more and more women started coming. We had sometimes 50 women jammed into my house. It was really glorious, but a couple of times I did have a very important luncheon to go to or a... Uh, party or a event that was, you know, I wanted to go to. 
And so I said, would you lock up? And they did. But something happened to me and began to happen in my heart. The funny thing about it was that I began to miss going to those meetings. I wanted to be there. It was like the Holy Spirit was inclining my heart in a different direction. So those things that I used to hold so important, and I'm not saying they're not important, but it was the emphasis I had on them that was bad. It was like I wanted to be there more than I wanted to be in anything of God, you know. So he began to change my heart, and I desired to be at this prayer meeting. This woman that was the leader, had had her husband was going to run for political office and had to take a leave of absence from leading the meeting. She'd attend occasionally, but she couldn't lead it because she couldn't afford And then they wanted me to be the leader. And I said, me? There's no way I could be a leader. I'm not a leader. And, and they said, well, we think you should be the leader, and it's in your home, and you should be the leader. So I said, okay. So I remember... On the floor, I say this because there are many of you here that might feel that way. You might feel like, I could never be a leader. I could never get up to a podium. I could never do those things. Well, I want to tell you that I am the last one to say that I could do it because I knew I couldn't. And I said, but Lord, you can. I can't say no to you because then that would be saying, you can't work even through me. You know, and you can work through anyone. So I remember just praying on the floor before those women would come that God would, would direct direct that gathering and, and give me the words to say and give me the wisdom and, and all the things I needed. And he used me, and I was amazed. Well, off of that group grew many, many groups of, of women's prayer groups. I mean, they were all over the greater New Orleans area. There were some maybe 40 women's prayer groups in the greater New Orleans region. And there was just a great uh, movement afoot. Was something was happening among women. And we decided that the leaders of all these women's prayer groups would get together and kind of talk about what was happening. I mean, because this was a phenomena that was happening in this area that we just didn't expect. You see, what was happening in us as we met together as women, we were growing. We were growing in our faith. We were enjoying. We had fellowship with one another. And because of that relationship with each other, we were enjoying uh, and felt a mutual support. There were those of us who were religious sisters, and there were those of us who were married women, and there were those of us who were single women who would gather together. But all of us found a strength in our own particular vocation as we came together and gathered together in prayer. And then we began to realize the beauty of being women, and we began to grow in our appreciation and the unique gifts that we have as women, the gifts that we can bring in the church to the church and to society that that only women can bring. And we began to reflect on those things. And we thought God has given us a gift. God is giving us so many blessings. The gift he has given us, we needed to give as a gift. And so we began sponsoring Days of Renewal for Women, Growth Teachings for Women, Seminars for Women, and we'd open it up to the whole area, the whole region, uh, and have these events. And women from the broad church would come and enjoy. About this time, Father Ott became Bishop Ott. And Bishop Ott was an auxiliary bishop in the Archdiocese of New Orleans. So it was like he was a close friend, a father in Christ to me. And it was like, what a gift to have the auxiliary bishop to be like a a father, a brother, just a father in Christ to you. And so it was a great gift. And he spoke um, at some of these events. He would speak at one of the days of renewal. And he was very encouraging for the work that we were about. And about this time as well... Uh, Women Aglow came into the New Orleans area. Now, Women Aglow is an interdenominational uh, outreach to women. It's international, interdenominational, and it was a had a beautiful effect among the women in the uh, New Orleans area. In fact, Catholic women were going there in greater numbers than any other denomination. Over half of the women who attended these gatherings were uh, women, uh, Catholic women. And the woman that was very instrumental in the bringing a glow to the New Orleans area 
was a close friend and sister, in fact, was a part of this prayer meeting. She was not Catholic. She was Presbyterian, and she won. She came to our, the prayer meeting that met in my home, and we became very close sisters in the Lord, and very we still are very close in heart. Her name is Bobby Byerly, and Bobby was a, just a dear sister and, and um, friend, and, and uh, Bobby was inviting me to come to these aglow meetings with her and I was invited to speak to these aglow meetings and I didn't know whether to accept or not so Bobby was saying how much they would love to have a catholic priest as an advisor to aglow and he, she said but the bishop will not allow it at this time and I said well I will speak to bishop Ott and see what he thinks about it I'll tell him what I see happening in aglow so I made an appointment to see bishop Ott now I have to back up now, I have to go back, re- rewind a little bit, because something had just happened to me a few years before. I found myself in this intense apostolic activity. Uh, all these activities that I was about, I discovered my youngest was 11, my oldest was 16, and I was doing all this wonderful work, and I discovered I was pregnant. And I thought, why would God call me from this important work that I'm doing for me to, uh, you know, have another child? I had given away all my baby things and everything. And, you know, when, when your baby is 11 and you have one that's, you know, four children, the oldest is 16, you think, well, this is all. This is it. Well, I found myself pregnant. And I was just thinking, Lord, why would you call me from all the important work that I'm doing? And boy, did I hear it. <laughs> he said to me, I mean, I just it was just this inner sense that he was saying, my ways are not your ways, and my thoughts are not your thoughts. For having a child, being a mother, is a very important and special role in the church today. And he said, say yes to me with joy, for there are many that say no to me. And so say yes to me in joy, and I will take care of the rest. And so I, again, felt this the repentance, you know, Lord, forgive me. Lord, I embrace your will. I received this child in joy. I received this call, realizing that I was going to have to stop the leading of this prayer meeting. This prayer meeting could not, I mean, it would be very difficult to have a baby in the house with all these women and all this. And um, speaking with my pastor, he said, well, the place for that, that prayer meeting, who he considered was his con- contemplative community in residence in his parish, he told us many times that that prayer meeting was his contemplative community, and he would give intentions to us regularly and, and saw the results of the prayers. But <clears throat> uh, that he wanted that to go into his parish, into the parish hall, the prayer meeting, and that's where it still is today. The prayer meeting is there. But anyway, so I had this child. Um, it was 1975. That was the holy year. And it was uh, wonderful. She's a wonderful, beautiful young woman. Amy um, graduated this year from law school, summa cum laude. She um, second in her class. And I have to just thank God for his grace given to me just to slow you know, slow of mind and heart that I am, you know, to just recognize the great gift of being a mother and how, how wonderful, what a great privilege we have as women. Um, I know, I know the sacrifices that we as women have to make to make it possible for a child to come into the world. I, I know the sacrifices and I know the cost and it's only through God's grace. Without the grace of God, my sisters, we could not say yes to that. We could not say yes to it. But God will give us the grace. You know, today, um, I, you read in the scripture in, in Luke's gospel. I remember years ago reading in, the, in Luke's gospel this passage and wondering what it meant. And it was when Jesus was going the way of the cross in Jerusalem and he, the daughters of Jerusalem, the holy women of that day, were lamenting and weeping over him, as I hope all of us would do 
if Jesus was here walking, walking among us today, walking the way of the cross, that we would lament and mourn over his suffering. But he turned to them and he said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but for yourselves. For the days will come when they will say, Happy the wombs that do not bear, and happy the breast that do not nurse. And I wondered years ago what that meant. And I think I know what it means today. And I think it's a word that he's speaking to us as women, as women in the church whose eyes hopefully are open to the sanctity of life and to the appreciation of life. For we're fast going into, very quickly, the culture of death. And we need to ask God to help us see with his eyes and understand with his mind how when he looks upon us as a society and as a people, that this situation, this sin of the, the death of an unborn child is very, very abhorrent to him. And he doesn't ever condemn us. His arms are forever open to receive us because sometimes we are blind and sometimes we do things without realizing what we're doing and understanding what we're doing. And there's nothing, there's nothing, no sin too great that he will not forgive. I want to say this um, because then four years later I had my my sixth child, Elizabeth. I was almost 40, uh, and I felt like Elizabeth. I wanted to go into seclusion. It was at this time that, uh, that a glow came into the city, and it was at this time that I met with Bishop Ott when I was five months pregnant with Elizabeth, who is Elizabeth now. And, and I, um, in speaking to him about a glow, he said, I see what you mean. He said, I give you my blessings. Go and bring the truth of the faith, and, and speak uh, to these women. Do not, do not um, feel uncomfortable doing so, but go with my blessings. And he said, but, uh, you know, I, I have talked to Archbishop Hannon, and we have discussed many times how we'd love to see something like a glow begin for Catholic women. And I thought that I didn't hear God in that. I thought it was competitive. It would be competition to... Um, a glow, and I didn't want it, that to be. And I also felt like going into seclusion. I wanted nothing more to do. So I said, thank you, Bishop. And I left that day thinking, I will not tell anyone what the bishop said. They did appoint a Catholic advisor to a glow, and that was my mission, and I felt, thank you, Lord, but I'll not say what the bishop said. Two days later, I go to my OBGYN, who's a state advisor to Women's Aglow, a very holy man. Uh, he was, was not Catholic, and I'm laying on the table ready, ready to be examined, and he's washing his hands, and he's telling me that he was praying for me the other day. Marilyn, I was praying for you the other day, and I just heard the Lord say, to you that I would love something like a glow begin for Catholic women. <laughs> and I said, Jim, what did you say? And he said, well, why not? He said, there are many Catholic women that wouldn't go to anything that was interdenominational and maybe shouldn't because they might become confused. He said, but why, why shouldn't it be something in, in the Catholic Church? And I said, oh, Jim, I said, the bishop just said this two days ago to me. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. <laughs> And so I said, oh, Lord, I said, Lord, I say yes, but not now, you know. <laughs> I didn't even tell the team that I work with. You know, I really didn't because I didn't, I was thinking, gee, they'll just stone me because I think, they'd think, Marilyn, not something else to do, you know. But I was wrong about that because in 1981, this was in 1979 that I spoke to the bishop. In 1981, this thought came back to me. My youngest was two years old. And I was feeling getting my head above water, feeling like I was alive, you know, that I could handle it. And I said, I mentioned to, to them gingerly about this, and they said, it's really of God. Let's go with it. Patty Mansfield suggested the name Magnificat. The bishop said, he was thrilled. He said, begin around a feast of Our Lady. And we looked at the calendar and thought, the Feast of the Holy Rosary is, is a beautiful feast, and it's very convenient. So we did it. Little did we realize the significance of the 
of the Feast of the Holy Rosary at that time, at that moment. But it was from the very beginning we sensed that this was Mary's ministry. It wasn't like we were doing anything. It was like we were baking a cake with our mother, and she was putting all the ingredients together and helping us put the cake in the oven, and then we were saying, Daddy, we baked a cake. We didn't do it. She was doing it. She was opening doors right and left. The image of uh, Mary and Elizabeth, the little logo that we all love so much, was given to us by a woman who's a beautiful artist in the city who conceived that. And it just was one thing after another. A glow put all of their their efforts into helping us, you know, giving us any advice they had or materials they had. They did not think of it as competitive. They thought of it as a sister. And to this day, they do, for which I thank God from the bottom of my heart. Bobby Byerly became the national president of Women Aglow. And what a gift, what a gift to have that connection. So you see, I was only a kind of a point person. I wasn't, this wasn't my idea or any of our ideas. It was something that was inspired by God through our bishop, Bishop Ott, who died um, in 92, who was a very holy man and who is talked about in, in those who knew him as the possibility of uh, being canonized one day, for he was such a holy, holy man. And how God puts all this together in our lives and weaves our lives together. One of the most exciting things about Magnificat, I want to just tell you about it, is that God brings all these gifts together. You know, there's not one person that could bring about an event such as this. We operate as a team, so it's a multiple of gifts. In my own experience, the more you give to God, the more he gives back to you. In fact, if you hold something back, if he's given you a gift and you hold it back, somehow it's not going to grow. But you have to give it. And out of fear, sometimes I'm tempted to hide the gift and not to give it, not to use it, out of fear. Magnificat, um, almost from the beginning when it was decided to have it October 7th, 1981, we uh, rented a, a place, a Knights of Columbus Hall in St. Dominic's Parish in New Orleans that held 150 women. But uh, because he said it could possibly hold 200, I had 200 tickets printed thinking that that's a nice round number. And we had the flyers printed and everything was beautiful and um before the flyers received those people in the mail, all 200 tickets were sold. And so I called the bishop's office to tell him, to prepare him for the, the angry women who were going to be calling, what is this? We get this in the mail, and, and there are no tickets available. And he said, oh, Marilyn, he said, that's wonderful, because next time they'll know to get their tickets early. <laughs> And I said, next time, you know, I guess we were thinking maybe this is one event or whatever. You know, we weren't, we didn't have any idea that it would grow as it had. Well, that 200 women jammed, jammed in this little place was so glorious. The bishop was there. It was a glorious. Patty Mansfield was the first speaker. It was glorious. I have to say the glory of God was with us. And then... You know, it was women there said, we've got to, I've got to take this back to my area. People that had traveled uh, miles to get there said, I want to bring this back. And we thought, what? You want to bring it back? And, you know, so we'd have it again and again. And every time we started getting these requests. So we were told that we needed to have our statues. We had to have a constitution written, needed to be incorporated. We need all these legal things done to protect it from, you know, and so that it can grow in the right order. We were put in touch with a um, uh, a leading authority on lay associations with the church who was so eager to assist us, who had worked at many uh, organizations, the Daughters of Charity, uh, the um, St. Vincent de Paul Society, had worked with them in the church, but had never done something from the bottom up. And he was so wonderful, Monsignor John Amos from uh, the Diocese of, of uh, Mobile, Alabama, came in time and time again and met, met with us and took the vision and put it in the context of the new code of canon law so that it became a private association of the Christian faithful so that in every diocese Magnificat will go in, it becomes a part of the diocese. 
it's at the heart of the church. It's recognized by the bishops and blessed by the bishops and by the church at large. Magnificat has grown to 52 chapters presently all over the United States, uh, north, south, east, west. It's in Canada, the Caribbean. It has gone over to Malta, the island of Malta, which is kind of like a, a small island off the coast of, uh, off of Italy, and it's almost like a launch pad. Malta is, uh, it, that's the vision, because people are coming from other countries to Malta, and they're getting the vision, and they want to go back to their country to bring it. It's now in Poland. And that was an awesome experience for me to go to Poland, not knowing the language, but the, the spirit, my sisters, if you were there, you would feel that you were one of them. I mean, their, their Magnificat, it was just glorious, full of, the women were dancing. They were just so full of joy. They came up to the two of us uh, who went over there, kissing us, kissing our hands. Thank you so much for what this ministry has done in my life and in the life of my family. So I have to say that, that God is doing a great and marvelous work. And I believe that this ministry was raised up for this time and for this moment when when we are in a kind of crisis. We might not feel it now, but spiritually we are. I encourage you, my sisters, be open to the Holy Spirit, to place Jesus first in your life, to take it seriously that you place him first by committing a time in your life for personal prayer. There's no way that we're going to be able to accomplish the work that he's giving us if we do not become more and more women of prayer. He tells us to seek first the kingdom of God and everything will be given to us. It may mean that we'll have to get up earlier in the morning. It might mean that we stay up later or there's some kind of way that we can fit in a time, a consistent time of prayer each day. If we do not pray, if we do not desire the sacraments, the gifts, the graces that God has given to us in the church, our spirits will die. And and so we need to nourish them. And that can only be done through prayer, through reading the scriptures, through the sacraments, and I, I say through service, through loving fellowship with others and through service. God bless you all. so much for listening to this Magnificat podcast. Have you been touched by our time together? If so, for more information or to find a Magnificat chapter near you, go to our website at magnificat-ministry.org or visit us on social media. We would love to hear from you. You can also email us at magnificatcst at aol.com or call 504-828-MARY, M-A-R-Y. Until the next time, may God bless you.